I watched the tape. Yeah, I did. I so I I literally just before we finished recording, well, maybe like thirty minutes before, um, have watched now the American uh, remake of The Ring, directed by Gore Verbinski. So this is a little bit of an of an addendum to last week's episode about Ringu. Um, and going into it, you know, uh, basically I saw everyone's take that like, hey, you know, maybe the original is good, but this new one, you included, you said this, uh, you said as much last week. Um, oh no, I prefer the original, man, and I it's wow. I think it's by like a somewhat significant margin, honestly. Like, there's just like some basic differences that I just found way more effective in the original. Um, namely, like our villain, like Samara slash Sadako. Sadako is way scarier to me than Samara, and I think it's because they keep her exclusively nonverbal. Like you have that moment in the in the remake where she's on tape doing like what felt to me like very typical stock creepy child acting, you know. Um, I like doing it, and I'll never yeah. stop. <laughs> I'm, I hurt people. He <laughs> he, and it's like uh, I'd like it when she just doesn't speak. That to me is so much scarier. Um, and then the final scare with her, like, looks so corny compared to, to the japanese one wow wow don't, I'm, I'm shocked to hear that i and, i think that is so much more well done no the man. water everywhere the water's a nice like, touch i like the water as a touch but like the effect of coming out of the tv is it's early 2000 cg stuff right and then like the close-up of the face it just looks like a little kid in Halloween makeup, as opposed to that that really great shot of Sadako's eye, like from below, the eye, looking right. down. Like that to me is like using your means efficiently. You know, maybe they don't have a bigger budget, obviously, so like they're gonna do things like that to kind of spice it up. I also just found the tone of the of the original way more like I don't know melancholy and like uh you know sort of like yeah. Like more the, somber, the somberness of it is exactly, and it's it's well, so much of it is underplayed compared to the remake. Not that the remake's like big and loud and anything like that. It's pretty somber too, but like when you got like the more melodramatic score under everything, and then you have the way like, that Naomi Watts like gets into the well with the yeah. TV. Oh, that I like. Her look, there's it, it's a very extra movie. I think it's very extra compared to the original. Which sometimes worked out for me, and sometimes I was just kind of like, I just like it better if you're like, you know, keeping it in the reserve kid, a little bit. He's fine. I think it's so much better. No, nah, he's he's a little too precocious for me. He's a little too precocious. Mm. I think that they do an interesting thing where um, they talk about Brian Cox has that, or, you know, who talks My about wife it? was never supposed to have a child. He was great. I loved him. Um, his delivery, amazing. His, but that's the that's one of the most extra scenes in the movie was his exit, which I did <laughs> like. But I'm like, that is some goofy shit that I I appreciate because of its goofiness, but also yeah. like it kind of is so out there. Um, no, so the scene where she's talking to the doctor, the doctor who has like she has like a like a you know a son who is maybe on the spectrum or something, right? And she's talking about the difficulties of raising a child that is like, as she puts it, those are her words, not quite right. You know, and you get the sense, okay, that's what they're saying about how it was raising Samara too, right? And the mother couldn't handle it. And then that is how Naomi Watts is experiencing motherhood too. Because I think they don't, maybe wouldn't have said this in the early 2000s, but that's, that kid is definitely supposed to be playing someone on the spectrum, I think. 
the way that he like it's i think it's a combination of i think i think he just, so he's not it's close like, with anybody in his family but also he the way he just like seems to be at a different frequency than everyone else you know well it's you know the neglectful parents and that he has to actually be the adult for right. naomi watts yeah and totally um, i get yeah, that yeah I can I can see what you're going for. I actually think that the mother killing Samara is much more powerful. I it is and like, yes makes that, yeah. more sense of why she's like a a point of the videotape. I think the videotape is like so much better. I, I love that was, you get the little good. like I liked it flashes yeah. of the ring every so often in mm-hmm. the movie. Like they cut it, like they splice in a few frames of it here and there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that. One thing that I meant to bring up last week um, was how it doesn't make sense that once Naomi Watts and the other lady make a copy of the tape and have someone else watch it, shouldn't the curse in there for them at that right. point? But like, she keeps seeing it. She has the, you know, the marks on her arms and, and other points where it's like, well, if that's if that was the whole thing about it, she's already accomplished that. Right. It's maybe that they two won't. Days in. It's maybe that they won't die, but it's possible that some that Sadako slash Samara is still fuck. Excuse me, is still fucking with them anyway. You know, yeah. Just for the, maybe just for the hell of it, or just that they've established a point of contact so that they're still experiencing some things. You know, um, that's my only guess. But yeah, I really, I, I, I really was questioning that throughout this one too you know um i yeah it's just like i mean i don't know i maybe i don't, I don't want to be the contrarian but i just found a lot about <laughs> the original way more effective that entire horse thing to me was also incredibly overdone and like a really strange oh addition. on the ferry yeah yeah that's it's a little it's a little crazy because she's like almost drawn to it yes and it's like once it starts freaking out it's like oh you should just like walk away and not yeah. just Keep but also she just like i mean she just like animal. continues her investigation and does is not as rattled as you maybe would expect somebody who just witnessed that you know like she just goes to brian cox and she's just like and he's like oh you hear about the horses like hey they all drowned them and you're not she's not gonna be like i just had the wildest fucking experience in the way over here it's still happening <laughs> like you know i i don't know i think it 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 works a little bit better without the psychic things. I like that the, uh, the husband, not ex-husband, right. I don't even know if they were married, but is like a videotape person. Like, I think that gives it a a, a level that they're yeah. able to investigate more and, you know. Yeah, I don't hey, know. I, I'm still pretty split on the psychic a, stuff in the original. Elbow and an asshole and an opinion. Yeah, man. Uh, here's the thing. I did not dislike it. I think I, I liked it fine. You know, I just, I was just kind of let down watching it and realizing, oh, like a lot of my favorite aspects of the original are just absent here, you know? And maybe that's it. It's more effective. Maybe if I watch it again, just realizing, hey, it's not going to have, it's going to be a different tone. It's, the ending's different slightly, you know, the way it's done. Maybe I'll like it more. But there's a lot of stuff to like about it. I think Gorbinski is a great director. So like, um, you know, I'm happy I watched it. Uh, I was especially delighted when the cartoon lizard kind of ran on the screen, like, you know, voiced by Johnny Depp. That part was great. Yeah. Or when Davy Jones, like, <laughs> rose from the well, too, in his big old ghostly pirate ship. I mean, it really, I, you see you see the future of Gorbinsky's career throughout, you know? Like, he makes subtle hints. <laughs> Just those little touches, yeah. Yeah. Like, like calling his shots. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. We're here at the tail end of Ghost because here on The Weekly Podcast Massacre, 
We have a new theme every month. We're wrapping it up with Stir of Echoes. I am Michael from Portland. Everyone calls me Murphy. I have a lovely co-host with me today. Yeah, I am Googa Greg from Wet and Wild, Los Angeles. Uh, mm-hmm. Currently in the in the in the throes of uh, <laughs> Hurricane Hillary, hurricane season. Yes, yeah. uh, it might yeah. be in the eye of the storm right now because it's not currently raining. But if a tree falls through my through my apartment during this record, that's that's why. If a tree branch starts whipping, mm. we'll know why. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to be sorry to see August go. There's a lot of other great options that we didn't get to. You know, mm-hmm. and one we'll talk about because this movie uh, was ill-timed, if you could say anything about it. Greg, this was your first viewing, correct? Yeah, it was first time seeing this. Yeah, okay. Uh, so this is written and directed by David Kep, I believe is how it's pronounced, who is a longtime Hollywood staple. He's written or been part of writing a lot of, like, American classics. Some of the greatest movies uh, ever made. Park is yeah, one. yeah. Yeah, that usually, like, pops out to me. He's directed some other movies as well. Um, <laughs> two I wanted to call out some is not Secret so, Window. Some not-so-classics. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, yeah Secret Window, yeah. which I, I saw part of that when I was younger. I've only seen the I've only seen the ending of Secret Window, but I did. I looked crazy. Worked at the movie theater when Secret Window was playing, so um, I would you know, I I saw it like a couple times in theaters, and then when we were you know ushering, cleaning the theaters, you know you get you get to hear a lot of like weird extra soundtracks for those movies 50 first dates i will always remember those credits as well yes but at the end of secret window is johnny depp singing jimmy crack corn <laughs> like really low oh and man. Like, that's just how the 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 end of the credits are that's a that's a stephen king movie right like king it is it's... based off a stephen king short story yes, yeah yes okay uh, the other one I wanted to call out is Ghost Town. Have you ever seen Ghost Town with uh, Ricky Gervais? I've seen and... parts of it. I almost said uh, Kevin Klein, but it's Greg Kinnear. Right. I've seen Leone. I've seen pieces of it, but now that you're saying that, I I did see that on his MDB. It only just occurred to me how, how one it's somewhat similar to Stir of Echoes and the fact that you have a yeah. character seen ghosts and all. But also, too, it's the Frighteners, but with Ricky Gervais, like a guy kind walking of, around yes. in a casual world seeing ghosts. Are there, aren't there a naked ghost? There is a naked ghost in that. I we believe just, so. We just yes. talked about naked ghosts last week. And it's it's basically how you die, right? It's, you know, whatever yeah. form you or clothing you are wearing. Um, I wouldn't say it's a good movie, but I think it is one of the best, like, buttoned movies of all time. Interesting. I think just... There's uh, some lines at the very end of it that kind of tie the whole theme of the movie together. Yeah. And there's not not like a sexual double entendre, but there are like multiple meanings of what they're saying to each other. Okay. Like there is a real saying and then the subtextual saying. And uh, I think it's just a really sweet moment that bizarrely Ricky Gervais is involved with. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> Um, that was from an interesting period because he also had like the mention of lying around that time yeah and, like it seemed like yeah. he was going to be a comedy staple you know for a moment which hey thank god we're you out know. of that jesus and then he hosted the emmys uh yeah 
But this is based on the novel of Richard Matheson from 1958. A very well-known writer. He did I Am Legend, What Dreams May Come, The Shrinking Man, which was uh, made into two, was adapted twice, I suppose. The Incredible Shrinking Man in the 50s. And then you had The Incredible Shrinking Woman with Lily Tomlin in like, 81 right. late 70s something like that but um yeah he also wrote hell house which is there's a movie based on that called the legend of hell house which was a consideration oh. for me for this month yeah okay interesting um, i have have you ever read any of his his writing i have not i've meant to get into i am legend but just never did Gotcha. Yeah, I Am Legend is fantastic. It's a brilliant book. Um, it's really good. I don't think any of the adaptations have really come close to capturing what exactly works about it. The, the closest is probably the Vincent Price, Last Man on Earth. Um, but it's a shame that they can't really crack that as like you know with it like for an adaptation. It's weird that they can't because mm-hmm. I don't think it. I don't think it's that crazy. You don't think it to change that much to really get it to work. But um, I've also read. Then I read Hell House and. Hell House is an insane book. Hell House is pretty crazy, uh, but it's really fun. And if you uh, are into ghosts and supernatural stories, like that is a very classic haunted house story. Like they, you know, these guys show up with like their ghost detecting devices and there's ectoplasm and there's like, you know, a cat that goes crazy and almost kills somebody. Like it's a pretty, it's a pretty fun read. That one's much less, I would say, impactful. Then, um, <laughs> then, uh, the other, I am legend, but it's still pretty good. And then he was a well-known writer for like the, the twilight zone. He wrote a lot of the best episodes of that. Okay. Yeah. So I've, I've probably seen a lot of those because I, I have watched all, like many of them. We'll talk about the cast, get into some recommendations, but I wanted to talk about when this movie came out. Yeah. Um, it's like an hour and 39 minutes. It came out in 1999. It was actually released September 10th, 1999. Wow. And a month before, on August 6th, a phenomenon was released among the world. M. Night Shyamalan made his, not directorial debut, but no. like his critical success debut with The Sixth Sense. Yeah. A movie about a small, creepy child seeing dead people. Yes. Pretty much like the plot of this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's insane. I mean, I know the kid in this one is younger, but when you look at the yes. performance of this kid versus Haley Joel Osment, like, who who maybe ruined child performances for all time. It's like, I mean, there's already for been... For a while. There's been great child performances, like, before and after, of course, but, like, um, you still look at him in Sixth Sense, and you're and it's it's still just crazy. What's the little girl, like, the Beast um, movie? Do you remember what that one? Uh, Beast of the Southern Wild? Uh, was that it? Right, with Ewan McGregor, right? No. Am I thinking I'm of something thinking else? Of some- yeah, it was this little black girl who was like the main character. Yes, and I, I it's something. God, I know which movie you're talking about, but I think it might be Beast of the Southern Wild. That's the title that keeps coming to my brain, but I don't know. Yeah, I never that saw could it. Be it. I can't. I can't yeah. think of anything else. It was really good, and she but gave a fantastic performance. In so. terms of modern child act, I like Julia Butters, who was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Fablemans. I think she's really good. 
Oh yeah, she was yeah. really good. I'm excited for the little girl and the creator. I think that could be a really oh, interesting yeah, performance. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, we could see. Yeah, we'll see. So yeah, we'll see. There was one other thing. Oh yeah, but just stuff that David Kep has directed. He also directed the immortal classic Mordecai. Is uh, of course. <laughs> how could we forget? We cannot mention David Kep without bringing up Mordecai. I know? never saw it. No, so me neither. I, but I've seen I images have... from it. I think that's enough. Yeah done my best to block it from my mental <laughs> memory uh like when we play framed it'll like oh yeah we'll play all six and i'll be like i've never heard of this movie <laughs> uh but I, I want to give a couple quick facts that um for six cents the budget was 40 to 55 million dollars which is pretty high for m night Shyamalan, like a person who didn't have a big track record mm-hmm but I guess it was the script. Everyone like kind of had the faith right. in the script. Its box office was six hundred and seventy-two million dollars. Fucking Christ. astonishing! <sighs> A stir of echoes. Uh, budget was twelve to thirteen million. Again, a little wild that David Kep, like an established name in Hollywood. Yeah. I'd have to look back if he had directed anything before, but maybe I, he was like, "I just want to do a small." He had one. Movie. He had one movie before this. I remember I looked into this too, and he did have assistance from like he wrote. Um, uh, he wrote Mission Impossible, which is one of his big other big '90s credits, and so he was in with that crowd. Like, I mean, he wrote for Spielberg, right? And then he would De go Palma, and write for right. for Sam Raimi and wrote for De Palma. So he was like in with all these guys. So he's he's established, like. And when he comes, when it comes to the directing, I feel like he had a, le- a huge leg up from from being a well known screenwriter. And I was seeing that I guess De Palma took a hand in like helping him out with this movie, like visited set and was kind of like maybe giving him pointers or giving him like feedback or something like that. You know, interesting. Yeah, interesting. I, I man, that's that's fascinating because I do think there are a lot of like nice touches in right. this movie at times, and then there are very. To use a word from the movie, ordinary. Yes, where yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not feeling any like m- movie making magic going right. on. Uh, his movie before this was called The Trigger Effect with Kyle MacLachlan. Apparently, I remember I did. I remembered somebody crazy was in it, or somebody interesting was in it, but I didn't remember the title. Kyle MacLachlan, huh. Elizabeth Shue, Dermot Mulroney, Michael well, Rooker. Okay. All right, not well. bad. I might have to check this out at some point. Uh, but Stir of Echoes box office was twenty one million. So if we, you know, usually take the times two for publicity, like it right. probably didn't really make a much a bunch of money. But also, nothing is ever profitable in Hollywood. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, technically, right, right by by accounting standards, that's mm-hmm. true. Uh, all right, let's run through the cast real quick. We got a big slab of bacon coming in, Mister Kevin Bacon. Yeah, as Tom was with. Witsky? I guess that's how you say it. I never even got uh, I, I looked up how to say it. Catherine Irby. Ur- Irby. Now I don't remember. As Maggie Witsky. <laughs> you have Zachary David Cope as Jake Witsky. Elena Douglas as Lisa Well. Really good in this movie. I really oh, like yeah. her. She's fantastic. Uh, you got Jennifer Morrison as Samantha Kozik. Uh, big fan Kevin Dunn as Frank McCarthy. And then just to round it out, you have Eddie Bo Smith Jr. as Neil the Cop. <laughs> well, you got like Connor That's O'Farrell how he was as Harry. That's all you right? need. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> you got Chaylin Williams as Adam. I actually don't remember if you said that one or not, but um, yeah, not a, not a big cast in this one. I would say no. There's a couple others, but like, eh, they kind of come in. Like they're important to the plot, but they're barely in it enough. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about some recommendations. What have been reading, watching, doing? Uh, that's not horror related. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Do I even have anything non-horror related? Uh, I did something weird the other day. Um, the great podcast with Gorley and Rust, with uh, Matt Gorley and Paul Rust. They were doing an entire season of their podcast based on The Shining. In one of the episodes, Paul Rust mentions he loves to do, like, sync-ups. You know, kind of like Dark Side of the Moon, uh, like, Wizard of Oz-style sync-ups. And so he said that if you sync up the beginning of the shining with random access memories the daft punk album and just play the album twice that it syncs up well i did it because this stuff is fun sometimes and it's always an interesting way to look at a movie you're familiar with and uh I, uh <laughs> it's a uh, it kind of worked it's fun enough if you're into the sync up stuff it's like interesting i guess there's some cool, interesting there's some good moments where the editing weirdly like is timed out pretty well like in in I think it's is it Giorgio, I don't remember. There's one of the songs where like a big drop happens right as it first cuts to Danny's face like screaming in the mirror, you know. And so like that's kind of fun. The song "Contact" is playing when Danny is using the the shining to contact uh, Dick Halloran. So like that's kind of neat, you know. Um, but you know it's it, watching the shining without the soundtrack or the dialogue like you know with different music it, you you notice different things in terms of physical performances which is always really cool so there's that the other thing is and again sorry horror related but it's what i've been doing lately um august 18th or just passed two days ago as of this record was the 50th anniversary of the day that texas chainsaw massacre takes place Ooh, so when you start fun. that movie, the opening scroll says August 18th, 1973. So it was 50 years ago as of two days ago. Um, on that day, I watched the movie again with commentary by Toby Hooper. It was great. But I also, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game was released. And so I actually got on Twitch and was streaming some of that. Some mutual friends of ours, Phil and Evan, joined in and played okay. too. So like, um, That's awesome. Yes, fun game. I, I'm liking it. It's it's really hard. There was a game where Leatherface killed me within 30 seconds of starting the match. Um, <laughs> so stuff like that can happen, but it's fun. I've been enjoying that. I might have to pick that up. I My recommendation is actually a video game. I Just moving in, I've finally had some time to sit down and play a video game. I downloaded the most recent PlayStation Plus a uh, free game, and I spent like six hours yesterday yesterday playing PGA Tour 2K23. <laughs> um, don't know oh, why well, it yeah. captured me. I was like, all right, I'm going to play for like an hour just to, you know, do something, and then I'll, you know, get ready. I'm going out tonight. I, I kept playing this game. I was kind of obsessed with it. Um, I beat Tiger Woods a couple rounds. That Damn. was pretty fun. All right. Uh, I actually had to watch this movie this morning because I didn't take notes. I just was playing golf with Stir of Echoes. So I've watched the movie three times now. Oh, wonderful. Uh, for this recording. I'm glad you did your due <laughs> diligence, man. I, I've, yeah. I've, I've done that before, too, where it's like, I'll, if I try to watch it twice, I try to do one watch without notes. But that can really fuck you up if you like are then running out of time later in the week or something. 
you know? Right, yeah. right. Oh, I need to take notes, uh, but I still want to, you know, hit birdies. Yeah, exactly, man. Well, that's great. If it's free on PS Plus, I might download that too. Why not? It was, it's been very enjoyable. I'll probably do some more today until there's like rivalries you have. And then once yeah. I like match with uh, Tiger Woods and then beat his ass, I'll probably be like, all right, I'm done with this. Yeah. And I'll get Texas Chainsaw. That'll be, that'll Hell be yeah. a fun uh, upgrade. Perfect. But Starfield does come out soon. So we'll see. Yeah. And Baldur's Gate 3 has been released and uh, I hear nothing but incredible things about that. So yeah, that's all I've heard as well. All right, let's talk about A Stir of Echoes, which was the original title of the novel. This is just Stir of Echoes. You drop the uh, yeah. Yeah, it's cleaner. Exactly. This takes place in a small rental house in a Chicago neighborhood that is uh, very happening. There's a lot of community going <laughs> oh, on. Oh, yes. I, I really approve just of. Just constant house parties, apparently, which, yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of fun. I mean, I like that. It's a fun energy. But, like, I don't know, maybe it's a Chicago thing, but at a certain point, it's like, are they, like, kind of old to be attending constant, like, you know, like, keggers like this? (laughs) I think that's the thing with Frank. I think that he wants to stay young, which he's, like, vicariously living through his son's, you know, uh, sexual life. But uh, I think that's part of it. I feel like he's a bit older, and then Tom and uh, Maggie come in, and they're they're just a little bit younger, you know, and they're trying yeah. to they're keeping them cool. I was cur- I didn't look it up, but I was curious about the age difference between Kevin Bacon and Catherine Irby because you can tell he's a bit older. Like I think he's like early forties, and she's right. probably mid thirties. Yes, yeah, I've got early thirty, early to mid thirties. Yeah, it's not so yeah. crazy, I suppose. But there was just a time where it's like he's like he does not look old. He obviously has aged amazingly. He looks fantastic. Yeah, he's aged so well. He looks great. Um, but I could just see like a little more grizzle on him. You know what I mean? I'm like, I think he's a bit older than she is. Yeah, which is but fine. He's you know? so lean. That's yeah, one of is. the things. It's like very gaunt. Um. This movie starts with a little boy taking a bath. We Great. meet Jake, and he is just kind of talking to thin air. Uh, Kevin Bacon's in the back playing guitar. And uh, <laughs> I love, you know, Jake's just like, I was the Black Power Ranger. He was Batman. Basically the opening line of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually he's like, I uh, want to ask you a very important question. Kevin Bacon's trying to get him out of the tub. Is like, um, you know put on these fire truck pajamas and he's like no i want bug pajamas no bug pajamas so he goes and downstairs to get them and jake asks the dead person a very important question does it hurt to be dead and the ghost answers well hey you know rent return to the living dead and get your answer <laughs> yeah uh as he comes uh downstairs he is introduced to elena douglas's lisa uh, wonderful performance. Let's get into this a little bit right now. Catherine Urbe is not that great. No. Um, and I think a big part of it is the writing. So I don't want to be yes. like uh, too harsh on her performance. But there are there are some pretty spotty line deliveries. But I think this, the biggest f- fatal flaw of the movie is the writing of Maggie and like her yeah. subplot. Like it's not well done. Yeah, there's. I, I would say there's straight up sections of this that are like <laughs> terribly written because of her character. Mm-hmm. You know. Sure. Yeah. Um. But I I watched a lot of 
Law and Order Criminal Intent, which was her and Vincent D'Onofrio. Catherine and Ernie? A, it's really hard. Yeah. It's oh. really, she was, the, they were the partners. And it's really hard to like shine when you have Vincent D'Onofrio doing like Sherlock Holmes in every single scene and he right. just steals it. But this is kind of just her acting abilities. Okay. It, it's really not, um, it's serviceable, I think, for like yeah. a uh, an actress, or, you know, a, a character that's not really anything more than a mom and a right. wife. Like she doesn't really have anything of her own. She has a, a family that's sick, but besides that, there's really no distinguishing characteristics to her. Yeah, it, it's crazy because this movie is like it's only an hour and a half long, but her subplot when she's doing her own little like sort of investigation into things is completely superfluous and makes the movie feel yes. like it's longer than it should be. <laughs> well, it's given a lot of the exposition and well, I like well, Neil the cop. I do like I like Neil I do like Neil, but then like at the end of the movie I was like, wait, did her getting into any of the info change anything at all? And it kinda doesn't. No. Like no. You, she still just she kind of just gets a little more concerned for her family, and I guess she has some understanding of what Tom is going through, but then she doesn't seem to act like that. Like you know, she sees him digging after that, and she's like, you know, freaking out about it. Like there's I don't something know. wrong with you, right? Yes, right. instead of being more understanding of like because she just learned what he said, what's happening. But Ileana Douglas talking about so I mean, unfortunately, that's a poorly written female character, but Ileana Douglas is great. And it's so good. I, I love her. I think she is so good in Cape Fear. She's really fucking good in um, Goodfellas in a pretty small role. Yeah. In that, but she's great in that. Um, so it's it's crazy, too, that she's like playing like a college student here. And I think they're implying that she's <laughs> maybe like in her late 20s, whatever. But she seems right. to be like playing younger than she is. But she somehow nails it. She's been around for a while at this point. Like, you know, this is the late 90s. She was in Goodfellas maybe. in 1990. Like. I, I think yeah. she. I think she's great. They treat her like she's like the kid sister a little bit, you know. Right, and she's got all of the great delivery. She's got all oh, yeah. of the good lines for the female characters of yeah. this movie. I thought it was Alice and uh, Janney for half a second when she first appeared on screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, she knows that Maggie is pregnant. Yeah, she, like a witch, she can just like sense it. And Tom's reaction: bummer. Also, this never really comes back into play at all, does it? Her pregnancy? Um, it makes her horny in the middle of the night. It makes oh, her sure. jealous of the ghost. Right. Um, not really anything else. You would think maybe that would be one of the things that could turn you yeah. into a psychic. Right. But, like, having a psychic kid inside you as well. Oh, dude, that would have been good, I don't man. Know. That's, I mean, that's yeah. almost some Freddy's Dead type of stuff. But, yes, that would have <laughs> right. been good. Yeah, not Freddy's Dead. Right. Uh, Whatever, yeah, you know, you you know which one, Dream, Dream Child, five. yeah, Friday, right. Nightmare Five. Ugh. <laughs> uh, the, so they have a you know conversation in the kitchen. He's sad that um, you know he didn't want to be so ordinary. He's going to have to drop out of his band. He again, let's talk about his acting. He does some really good bits in this movie, and I think this scene in particular where he's talking about you know uh, he's got a shitty job, but that's not what he wants to do. When I met you, like, I didn't give you a line. Like, I actually want to be something. Right. Um, I, I I love Kevin Bacon. I don't know anybody that doesn't love Kevin Bacon. Um, I think he's just got such great range. And, like, I kept thinking throughout this movie of, like, 
his character in Tremors too, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I hadn't seen before, like a little bit over a year ago. And I loved him in that. Um, just his voice is so different between so many of his different roles. Like he's kind of got an identifiable Kevin Bacon kind of like sound. But I, I believed he was like a suburban Chicago guy in this, you know, he was, he was doing a little bit of an accent. Like, yeah. uh, like and... he, he worked, he works on the, on phone lines or something. Right. Like I right. did the right. blue collarness kind of comes through. He doesn't have that like Hollywood stigma on him, you know? Yeah. And he's got a lot of good, uh, you know, like stuttering lines yeah. in it, like that really deliver whatever he's, you know, saying. Uh, but they're all going to a porch party in the neighborhood, and they bring the little baby monitor so they can listen to Jake in his bed. Yep. Uh, we get to meet Frank and Sheila, who are just like neighborhood couples. Their son Adam is like running around. I love. Frank is, like, the horniest person of all time. Yeah. He calls his um, wife his squaw, which uh, <laughs> instantly told me all he needed to know about the character. Um, he is just, like, openly ogling a woman yes. eating chips. And um, Sheila is just gazing at him. Yeah. Like, letting him dig his own hole. We have a great line as they're approaching the party, because they're walking over with Lisa and... Um, you oh know, right! Like Eliana Douglas, she's is wanting. Like, she's saying she wants to meet a guy who's not completely like brain dead and stupid or whatever, right? Like who's halfway decent. And uh, Maggie asks, "Does it matter if he's on the boner pill?" And uh, she replies, "I will not look a gift boner in the mouth," which is a very funny line. This is why David <laughs> yeah. Kep gets paid the mid bucks, man. Like <laughs> that line right there. Uh, we also meet Harry, who owns the house that Kevin uh, Bacon and Maggie are renting. Um, let's see. We find out that Lisa is practically a licensed hypnotherapist, <laughs> which tells us she's not a licensed hypnotherapist. Right. Uh, they all call bullshit, and Kevin Bacon eventually is like, all right, I'll do it. And again, I think great acting from him in this scene. Yeah. Um, before they go through it. And this this actually might be some of the De Palma things, now that I'm thinking about it. Because all of the hypnotic stuff is so well done. It is. It's great. I really, it's really love... Good. Yeah. I love it. He, she's like, you know, uh, imagine you're in a theater, and he thinks it's like an like acting theater. She right. goes, no, it's a movie theater, and the screen comes down. You're alone, and then pe- the people disappear. Like, it, this uh, whole... Um, area around him keeps changing and it's just so well done this is also black the walls go black we brought up two seconds ago but it's just like nightmare on elm street style stuff too like i think is it the fourth one where there's a big dream sequence in a movie theater that reminded me a lot of this Mm -hmm. uh but it's it's really cool i i i really enjoy it i also really got a heavy talk to me vibe from that party scene of like are we gonna try it oh it's bullshit kind of thing like we talked a lot about talk to me last week, but um, it's just been on my brain. But just that idea of like, oh, we're we're gonna dare you to kind of like fuck around with your with your psyche a little bit, you know? Yeah. Uh, so he gets some flashes. Well, you know, he sees the word sleep on the screen. He starts getting some flashes and then wakes up and is extremely thirsty. That is kind of one of the things I really love about this movie. Is yeah, it's a fun how detail. thirsty he gets. Yeah. Just for liquid and not women. <laughs> Like, Frank is thirsty, but Kevin Bacon is thirsty. Exactly. Um, Everyone's laughing. Like, he talks... uh, Apparently, he talked about, like, 
uh, Joey Luca, his 12-year-old bully. They stuck a pin through his, a safety pin through his hand, and he bled from one side but not the other. That's wild. Very man. freaky. Yeah. Uh, you know, they end up leaving, and uh, she again, she's pregnant, so she's horny in the middle of the night. They start having sex, and he's having these flashes of uh, a dead girl, you know, right. being attacked, plastic over his face. The hand, the you know, shot of the hand, like on the floor, kind of like scratching. That's a really good visual. Yeah. Also, very ring like, you know, somehow. Yes, yes, yeah. th- that like basically happens in right. ring of you know someone forcing their hand so hard down on the floor that the nail pops back. Yeah, fucked very up. Very upsetting. Yeah, very upsetting. Crazy stuff. Um. So yeah, we get some some partial nudity from from maggie mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. uh i wrote that nice. in my notes that he starts to stir her echoes <laughs> that's what i have written for this scene that's pretty good yeah, i like you. that yeah yeah uh so he goes to the bathroom we have the tooth hallucination scene where he like oh, pulls is good. out part of his tooth yeah uh almost like a poltergeist yes type of thing. Like, I, I, I thought of poltergeist like these, a lot of this stuff so apparently uh, it turns out nothing I forget where I read it, but it, apparently it's somewhere uh, that is based of a real dream that David Kep had. And have you ever had a dream about like teeth falling out or anything like that? It's a common thing that people talk about. I have heard of that. I don't. Re- I don't remember a lot of my dreams. I don't recall yeah. ever having that. So I haven't had the one where the teeth comes out, but I had one that was similar to this, where I was looking into a mirror and there was a gap between my teeth, which I used to have a gap between my teeth as a kid before I got braces and everything. And it was something I was kind of self-conscious about. So maybe that like stems from this. It but, dug into your subconscious. Yes. Yeah. So in this dream though, that gap in my teeth, I was kind of like playing with it. And then I like started to split my face in half, like at, oh, the, te- at the teeth. And it was really fucked up. And it is absolutely something I have written down to put into a script someday. You yeah, know, like something similar inspired by that. So like these Oof. these things stick with you. Yeah. Uh, so he goes downstairs. He's very thirsty, and he sits down on the couch, turns on the TV, sits back, and sees a go 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 ghost. Go 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 go. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, she even seems surprised by it. Like, can right. you hear me? Yes. I love later uh, he that he's trying to TV recreate this exact thing that is very funny to me. Where he's like, later on, he's trying to like sit down on the couch the remote the exact same way, you know? I think it's I think it's a very um important thing. Like we haven't really seen in any of the other ghost movies that we watched is like this uh suspicion of like, am I really crazy? Yeah. Well, I guess Lance Hendricks Lance Hendrickson does do some of that, but like that recreation of like I want to keep making this happen to understand what's going on. So right. I'm gonna keep walking through these same steps over and over. But yeah, she disappears, and then now Jake is at the top of the stairs and says, You're awake now, Daddy. Don't be afraid of it. And then walks back to bed. Very yeah. very weird. Just as we it just dawned on me this month uh, for all of our picks, like the relations between all of them. We had two different movies where the ghost was an undead serial killer that survived his execution in the electric chair and came back to kill more. Right. We yeah. had one movie where the ghost was a kind of a dickhead that gets killed and then comes back to have some BDSM sex. So maybe not maybe that one kind of stands alone. But the other two movies, 
both involve a young girl who was murdered coming mm-hmm. back to kind of like relay her story and take vengeance in a way, you know, right? Like this one, maybe right. not as exact, not exactly vengeance. It sort of is, but it's like seeking justice, retribution, you know. Um, well, it's what they always talk about. Like there's, uh, you know, something left behind or yeah. like un- what. It- there's a terminology that they always use, like unfinished business. Right. That's what it is. Yes. Yeah. And I, I've said it all throughout the month, but that sort of trauma that gets imprinted on people in life, you know, that persists beyond death, that that is what makes a ghost, you know, in my yeah. mind. People, yeah. places. Right. So uh, this which is interesting re- because so... she also, like, is away from the house at certain points. Right. That doesn't, that don't really make sense, yeah. Sure, you know, again, you could say, like, kind of like with The Ring, like, I feel like when you, in these movies, like, I was gonna say, and I was gonna say, when a ghost, like, as if ghosts were real, but I feel like (laughs) the explanation in these stories is usually like, oh, the person is a conduit for the ghost, right? So maybe they can, like, go beyond their boundaries once they made a connection with somebody. So, like, she's connected to Kevin Bacon now, right? And so she knows. She's in there. Right, this is a person that she can communicate through, she can escape beyond her physical you know her physical location or something i don't know i'm that's me doing work for the movie <laughs> all right david kep owes you a paycheck now oh yeah please come on man i'm making this shit make sense yeah uh so he eventually calls lisa and uh figures out that she gave him a post-hypnotic suggestion that his mind will be open like an open door an open book he will be able to take in all that's around him which uh, you know, she even says like that'll you know start a latent ability. So good job on fucking over someone's head, Elena <laughs> Douglas. Yeah, seriously. Uh, so they're looking for a babysitter because they want to go to a football game on Friday night, and Jake is just at the table eating the cereal, talking to Samantha, and says that they should call Vanessa to ask about Debbie. And Debbie's a babysitter. Uh, she comes over Friday night. I really do love the uh, red hue thing that happens, almost like the the predator the vision ring negative. Oh yeah, type yeah. thing. See, I it was is only, almost like that. I was only thinking the predator when he takes his mask off and it's like the infrared, like you right. know, sort of thing. So I kept thinking that the latent ability that he was getting was predator vision. You know, predator sense. Yeah, yeah exactly. That would be awesome. Like he just like. Puts on a thing on his shoulder oh, and yeah. starts blasting the hey, cement in the we- base in the basement. <laughs> That's how he eventually <laughs> finds it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I was just thinking that, like, we know from the predator that the predators come and they like harvest abilities from species. Like, you know, eventually they wanted to harvest autism because it was the next step in evolution. So, like, maybe a, a predator would come and harvest a vision from him. You know, that's where they got mm. it from. Mm. Uh, she's actually has in her hands. The Shrinking Man by Richard Matheson. Uh, that's what she's reading. Love it. Uh, so they are going to the football game. He's been having a lot of headaches, too. Uh, he says it's too much caffeine at this time. Keeps seeing the red hues. As they are walking to the football game, uh, Frank is going on about his kid, uh, how he's a great footballer, all that. Uh, two women walk by, and he's like, Jesus Christ. And Sheila, I love this line great. so much. Jesus Christ, why don't you just lick them when they walk by? I love that. That line's great, but also when she like has an aside to Maggie like a minute later, and she's like, he'll stick it in a bowl of soup if it's still warm. Soup, warm, yeah. So good. Just her almost like 
slightly drunk delivery. Yes. Like, she's almost slurring yeah. her words she's about great. it. She's great. I, I, she has I another really great like one that. later when there's a fight at the other parties. Like, people have to ruin everything. <laughs> uh, there's another line I wrote down. Look at the quality of tail he's getting, which is what uh, Frank is saying about Adam. He's, he's beating me at 14. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God. Uh, so uh, Tom keeps having these, uh, you know, the red flashes, realizes that something's wrong. Jake had been talking to Samantha, and this made Debbie very upset, to where she kidnaps him and takes him to a train station where her mother works, and Tom and Maggie show up. Altercation, there's a cop. Really good Chicago City cop. Oh, totally. Like, yeah. I don't think that kid belongs to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It should have been, uh, been Dennis Farina, though. That's 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 oh. another knock against this. Oh. You know. Well, he's NYPD, obviously. Well, no, he. I mean, he's from Chicago. Though. He he was a real Chicago cop that then became an actor. So, like, you know, um, what did I say? Who did I but say? on Dennis NYPD Farina, Blue, right? I uh, you're thinking you're yeah. thinking of Dennis Franz. I thought for uh, oh Farina oh, uh, is, uh, uh, Farina is Manhunter. Yes, he's Crawford in Manhunter. Yeah. Gotcha. Which I just rewatched. Yes, um, and you rated too low. Really yes. good. Yeah, it's uh, man. It's <laughs> unfortunate because Red Dragon gives so much better characterization mm, to Dollaride. Mm, yeah. Mm. Oh man. Yeah. You don't oh, look, get anything I, from him in Manhunter, and it's you, sad. No, you get a lot, but it's just it's only from the performance of. Uh, uh, Thomas Noonan and his environment. That's where all of the backstory and like characterization comes in. It's, it's all so, through the silence. So concentrated. But I think yeah. it, it I look, it's I'll, so concentrated that it may dilute it. Actually. I'll I'll agree that it is very it's very rushed and it's very kind of like suddenly it's like, oh now here's a major character an hour and ten minutes into the movie. So I totally get you mm-hmm. in that front. Like structurally it's weird. But I think that Thomas Noonan is so fucking good. And when, oh, when you great. see when you see his house and the way it's decorated and like the way that everything's spaced out and kind of weirdly just off kilter, like that tells you so much about his character without any exposition. Like that, like the setting is the character to me in that, you know, as well as performance. Like, so anyway, we're not talking about Manhunter. Yeah, let's let's continue with Star of Echoes. I'm gonna yeah. be here all day if we start doing that. <laughs> uh, so they decide not to press charges because the picture that they were showing was Samantha and Tom recognized her. So they go back home and they're trying to talk to Jake about it. Um, uh, Maggie's getting a little upset. There's a the great part of jake i guess it's samantha talking through jake right uh don't ask the boy any more questions talk to me i needed which is yeah amazing great stuff i also he said talk to me also i needed more of this i i wanted more of that stuff Uh, i feel like this is just enough and we don't see like they they talk about it like there's things we're not seeing on screen like maggie's like they're whispering um, and we really have no idea what they're saying. But I think just that little bit of how creepy it is with the voice modulation I think is I, pretty fantastic. Yeah. I think I maybe just wanted, like, one more instance of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they're getting worked up and starting to fight. Uh, Jake says he doesn't want to talk about it because it scares Mommy. We've talked about Tom trying to recreate him seeing Samantha... There's then the block party where we get to meet Kurt and Adam, really, for the first time. 
Right. Um, they'll come back into play. Uh, Tom's trying to ask about Samantha, and I love Lenny, who we were introduced to earlier. <laughs> yeah. Who uses the hard R words, yes. but just like the way that he says it, of like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So, okay, this actually surprised me, because the way he's saying it, they are dropping it like it is an intense slur, which I feel like was not the case usually in the 90s. In 99, You would just toss it off at any given moment in the 90s, into the early 2000s. Yes, and he even says, don't, he's like, like, don't say that word, and gets in his face about it. I'm like, whoa, hey, kind of progressive for 1999, a little bit. Well... We, well, you find out why earlier, later, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. From earlier, we understand that um, he already doesn't like Lenny. Yes. Uh, and it's like, why'd you invite this look, jag off to this party? And he uses another word earlier that might also be considered a slur with squaw. So, like, you know, he's not perfect, <laughs> obviously. Uh, he says he's just been interested uh, to hear about it because Debbie uh, babysat for them the other night. Right. Uh, he wakes up on the couch and finds his shoes under the couch. He finds a note on the mirror. Everything's a little weird. He comes downstairs and Frank is there saying something about how, like, they were going to kill you. You this and Mikey both. This is a great scene. I like this. I think he gives a great delivery. Yeah. And then he comes He comes outside, sits down, and is like, this was a good neighborhood. And... Uh, Tom's a little like, oh, something's weird. So he walks to the house. There's very eerie things happening. The male person, the dog barking, goes into the house and finds Adam, who is acting very strange, has a gun in his hand, and ends up shooting himself in the chest. I love that then you get the flashes of him rubbing his face with all the blood. that was cool. Cuts to Tom waking up. He feels very odd. Uh, looks under the couch and sees his shoes very thrown off. Goes upstairs, sees the note on the window, and very, very thrown off. Comes downstairs. Frank is not there, but he starts wandering to his house. And uh, keeps seeing the same male person, the dog, everything's right as it was. Here's a gunshot and finds that Adam has in fact shot himself. He has a line that's like, am I asleep or am I awake? Which yeah. is very, very creepy. Let's see, that's when uh, Maggie, you know, all the ambulance is taking him away. Maggie's like, hey, let's go for a walk, you know, takes Jake out. Here, right right here. So, okay, up to this point in the movie, I was very much enjoying this. I was like, damn, we got kind of a low-key banger on our hands. I was really liking all this stuff. I was loving loving, uh, Bacon. Um, I was was pretty invested in the story. The mystery of it was intriguing to me. I'm like, okay, it's interesting like harry says that they didn't live in the house but clearly harry is kind of lying like what is going on here the gunshot thing you clearly know adam is involved somehow in the disappearance but i was really interested in how it's all gonna play out and then we get to this upcoming subplot and things ground to a halt for a good chunk of time and you spend a lot more time with Catherine irby who we discussed is one of maybe the weakest element of the movie (laughs) yeah yeah. So they're wandering through the cemetery, and Jake hears beautiful music, which are bagpipes from yeah. a, a, a cop's funeral. I wouldn't technically like describe that as beautiful. Yeah. Like, maybe someone would, but I don't mind his delivery of it was right, also yeah. just very funny as mm-hmm. he was doing it. Um, so they see a cop's funeral. He uh, 
is just staring, and this big, tall, black guy in the cop uniform turns around, and, you know, they wave at each other, and just kind of, they walk away. The cop ends up following them, and he's like, um, every, no, everything's fine, everything's fine. Catherine Irby's like, ugh, what's, what's going on here? This guy's following us. And says, oh, the boy's got the eyes, doesn't he? X-ray. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like this, like, explanation or just the description of it. Uh, but you don't. Maybe the boy's father and says, oh, you should come see us. I like that uh, Neil already knows Jake's name, says by Jake. Yep. Jake says by Neil. His name's Neil. No, this was never exchanged. So they were all doing Shining. I was just going to say, I do like Neil the cop. This is 100% just The Shining with Neil as it Scatman Crothers. It is Scatman Crothers, yes. 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 It's all, and and it look, that. And that has been, you know, Stephen King's been criticized for the magical black man trope, and this is does it to a T. Like, this is just it. He's just a random black guy in the middle of the movie who knows the magic power, can explain everything, and it has no bearing on the actual plot of the movie, really. Later, he's, like, dressed in a tashiki yes. type of yeah. get-up. It's very, very mm-hmm. weird, yeah. Yeah. Um, Tom is on the couch trying to play a song that's just not going anywhere. Jake actually, like, moves his fingers and is like, try that, daddy. And <laughs> it, um, you know, like, sticks in his brain. It's like, why do I know that song? Why do I know that song? And becomes obsessed about it. I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, the main theme of this movie is obsession, about something happens and you cannot let it go. Right. And it's a very interesting thing that I was thinking about as watching it for this third time of just how people become obsessed. And it's interesting that De Palma came on set because I would say most of his movies have obsession. Oh, uh, yeah. Most of the ones Absolutely. that I've seen. Yeah, have obsession as like one of the core. Like, he made a, he made a movie called Obsession, so clearly it's something right. that he is uh, he deals with. No, I I totally agree. So you have like usually, and that always you know uh, comes out in his movies like an like an investigation, right? So you have like blowout. Yes. John Travolta is obsessed with the idea that he heard the he heard the shot before the tire blew out, right? And that is what drives him throughout is the obsession. Like I got to figure out the truth of what happened here. You know, so I, I agree. And it's a similar thing with uh, Kevin Bacon in this. Um, and then there's a, a lot more Shining connections, too, of just like, you know, the magical dad and son who are both, as Neil puts it in a moment, both receivers for something. And they're both like sort of experiencing this in different ways. Right. Like and that drives you to become obsessed with an idea. So like in The Shining, Nicholson becomes obsessed with correcting them. Right. And like, you know, uh like writing his book or whatever, which turns out to be just nonsense. Um, so I, I was seeing other like shiny people in, the, in IMDb trivia were trying to claim that yeah. there's shiny connections here as well. You know, uh, there's okay. a big freak out I got scene a big later. theory for you now. Yeah. Do you think Catherine Irby's performance is was like a psychological torture that David Kep did, much like <laughs> Kubrick did to Shelley Duvall. And that some people would watch The Shining and be like, Shelley Duvall's not good in this. Like the way that we're watching Catherine Irby in this right. movie. Do you uh, think that that's a possibility? Uh, no. no. <laughs> I don't think so. Because <laughs> Catherine Irby seems like... The problem is that she seems a little too undisturbed in this. If anything... If anything... <laughs> and, this is, and look... 
joke. This is a joke. If anything, you know, Kep should have tortured her more, you know? Maybe that would have resulted in something a little more, I don't know, that, that stood out, maybe. All right. Well, Greg, you're getting canceled now. <laughs> uh, so uh, Maggie goes to see the psychic. I love that, like, as she's leaving, they're not paying attention to her at all. Um, this might actually be her best delivery of, goodbye, Mom, goodbye, Maggie, and then walks out yeah. the door. Um, she takes. She, she grabs a knife as she goes out, which, yep. like, to me, I had the thought of, like, is she only taking that because she's going to a black neighborhood? Like, could she just like, <laughs> is that just some like weird racial, like racist tendencies coming through of like, well, I better be armed, you know? Like, you never know. He is a cop, but as we hey, know, look, okay, all look, cops in, are in, bastards. In that sense, maybe if she is just arming herself because he's a cop, then I am on her <laughs> side. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like his explanation for it. Actually, I like that. Oh, I like the way he the puts other it. Psychics yeah. Look, I yes. are like like shut the door. Like you can't come in. Like these people are paranoid. Um, the way that he describes it as like being in a tunnel with a flashlight. You get glimpses here and there. The you know the light keeps going on and off. Your son much better flashlight. I I like the way he puts it. I really like Neil's performance. Um, I feel bad that I didn't even put the name of the actor down, but like. Um... I think he's great. It's just I could not get over how tropey this all is. And then by the yeah. end of the movie, when I realized Maggie learning this, again, doesn't really change anything. She still comes back and no. is like telling Kevin she Bacon, oh, back, just let it go, you know? And it's like, let it go. She comes like, back <laughs> and takes a bath. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, okay. So she's drawing the bath. Jake is watching the Mummy movie, which we didn't mention before, but he is obsessed. He's with obsessed this with mummy the mummy, yes. Which I looked to me like, like a Hammer movie, possibly. And it, I don't think it was the Christopher be. Lee Mummy, but it's I, it looked like that. Um, but you know, it gives him nightmares if he watches it before bed. Here, watch H.R. Puffin stuff. Mm-hmm. And as um, that's all going scarier, on, which Tom's... looks it looks creepier to me than the Mummy movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, those children of the 70s, man, they got really yeah. messed up on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Tom's downstairs still trying to figure out the, the music. Uh, is playing all of his CDs, going through all of them. And uh, Samantha is there. She is changing the channel on Jake. And he's like, no, I you know want to watch H.R. Puff and stuff now. And she makes the bathtub cold for Maggie. You get a shot of a butt. Which, yeah. uh, this whole scene, again, is a little contrived. I, it is very interesting that the ghost seems to be in multiple places at once. Right. She's messing with Jake, and then as Maggie goes down to light the pilot light, which introduces us to the basement, uh, we find out that the pilot light's already there. But she's there, she fucks with the light bulb, she's also messing with the TV. Jake unplugs the TV... And it's still going. I I think that's a good shot of him, like, reacting yeah. to both of those things. That's pretty fun. Uh, my, my thing with this movie, I, part of it... Uh, maybe we're going to save this for the final thoughts. Okay, yeah, let's just continue. Let's just keep going. Um, Tom gets glances of the house, and he act, of the house, like, before they moved in, when it was being renovated, and sees Samantha. They do a weird, like, almost hand-touching thing. And his breath goes really cold. He's not breathing. And Maggie brings him back into reality. I think this was a really good uh, effect that yeah, they did. Yeah, I like that. For yes, early 99s. It's, it's a good visualization you know, some of this, this for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He goes to Lisa to unfuck his head. Uh, she is uh, being visited by Clarita. Uh, and they just smoked a big fatty. So is he <laughs> is he interrupting a lesbian hookup here? 
that's the feeling I, I got. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think mm-hmm. that Alina Douglas is so um, pent up from not finding a good man that she turns to a woman. Which, Possibly. Hey, like, yeah. I can't blame her. I but, mean, um, and, and Clarita is gorgeous too. But it's just a, very beautiful. It's just yeah. a very, it's Speaking a very Spanish. interesting scene. The way she like turns to her so disappointed and has to like explain to her. She also she says something in Spanish that made me laugh. Uh, I think she calls him crazy or something, right? Oh, like I think well, I think she I think she says good direction. Yeah, it's like he comes in and then it's Alina Douglas like in front of him and then she goes, oh yeah, and meet Clarita and she just moves out of the way and she's right. there on the couch. Yes. Um, but something about the like I'm not trying to generalize, but something about the way that like Clarita is like dressed, like the leather and stuff. You're like, I think this is a lesbian <laughs> hookup. Um, but she, I think she calls him fucking crazy in Spanish. But I could I could be mistranslating slightly. Uh, and again, Douglas giving a more wonderful performance about that. You yeah, know, we just you know smoked a big fatty like five minutes ago, so you're gonna yeah. have to slow down a little. <laughs> uh, so she hypnotizes him again. And they're going through it like last time. He's in the theater. There's a word on the screen. But this time he says there's someone else there. And she keeps saying, no, no, you're alone. He goes, no, no, no. She's there. And it's Samantha just sitting there. Uh, He's doing the whole thing. He can't breathe again. She sees Dig on the screen and wakes up again. Goes immediately to the fridge and chugs a beer. (laughs) wonderful and again douglas's performance here is yeah. so good like oh my god are you okay what's going on do you want a beer <laughs> <laughs> great stuff uh yeah. this part is also very funny continuing the, the thirsty thing and like i think it cuts like maggie coming home and she opens the fridge and it's just like t- full like, top to bottom OJ. orange juice that was a weird minute made oh yes that was a weird hilarious visual yeah yeah uh, so she goes into the backyard. Well, actually, one of the other deliveries I think she does well is when she comes in and there's like muddy boot prints everywhere. Yeah. She goes, well, look what I'm not cleaning up. <laughs> but okay, I, th- that's a fun line, but she just like becomes like a nag at this part. And like that's yes. my problem with like she learns all this stuff about, hey, they're receivers. They, you know, he especially is really confused at what he's seeing and doesn't know how she to react asks to for it. something. Yes. And she's not going to leave until whatever she asked for has happened. Right. But then Maggie hears this and is like, OK, I am just going to like get on his ass about this stuff and like <laughs> nag the shit at him instead of actually trying to help him or be constructive here. You know, right. like it's I just understanding. Real, I just like had a real intense dislike for her character, especially during this scene right here, you know, and right. maybe it's problematic of me. It's like I even call her a nag or whatever. But it's like this is what it feels yeah. like. It's just like she's just a problem now. You know, I don't know. You know, he knocked her up and then all she does <laughs> is just, you know, nah, <laughs> nah, maybe, nah, nah. yeah, Jesus, maybe that's the explanation. I don't know. Uh, uh, so she goes into the backyard and it's all dug out. Jake is there with his little shovel, you know, yeah. he's helping, and uh, she sneaks, quote-unquote, sneaks up on Kevin Bacon. You scared me. A great delivery from him. Yes. He's so we, good. We, we get some raw bacon, because he's got his shirt yeah. off here, you know. Ugh, looking hot, like a like oh, a, yeah. like a snack, mm-hmm. a snack of bacon. So they start fighting, because he's like, well, we both know what's happening, we both know why I'm digging. Yeah. The question is where. 
Yes. Uh, I love that he kind of like points to Jake. He's like, it's not over there. Don't worry. Uh, dude, okay, that was so fucking, that was great. I, that was really funny. So like, she's like, what's Jake doing? And he's like, helping. And then she like looks at him all concerned. He's like, it's not over there. <laughs> yeah, like, well, you know, he gives her like a uh, kind of a look like he's yeah. helping. You're not. Exactly. Yes. But it, it's like that thing where I don't know if you ever had the experience of when I would have like young cousins come over to visit when I was younger and like they see me playing Mortal Kombat and they want to play. So I give them unplugged controller right. and, and they yeah. think that they're playing as the other character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they have like a drag out fight when Jake's screaming to you know stop talking. But he's going on about how this is the most important thing that's ever happened in his stupid life. And why can't you be supportive? Right. And she gets angry about this because as she's saying, like, you know, this is not your stupid life. It's our stupid life. Yeah. And when you say it's ordinary, like, you're insulting me and Jake as well. Yeah. I, I think I just have a, I don't know. It, maybe it's, it's a combination of the performance from Catherine Irby. And then just, again, like, she's learned what he's going through. And it just, like comes off to me as like doesn't care as like incredibly selfish of her to being like oh but you know like i don't know it's one of the other uh, readings maybe is like you know addiction and this yeah. is like someone who like knows this person is an addict but is like not being helpful in any recovery thing they're just like well just don't do it just stop yeah i think part of it what like, is that's it, not gonna like, help I, and she has a talk with i think with lisa about this in a moment but like she talks about how you know it feels like now jake and uh tom have their own little club right that they're always like yeah. whispering to each other, and then they stop when she comes in and things like that. So it's like I understand she's feeling isolated and stuff, but it's also like in the context yeah. of this movie, which we learn is about you know find seeking justice for a young girl that was horribly murdered. It's like why do I give a shit about her feelings in this story? Kind of it maybe is where I'm at too. You know, it's like I don't um, care. Like I don't care about her story. <laughs> I think that what you were talking about was uh, when they're talking at the block party. Yes, and Alina Douglas has another great delivery of just like oh yeah you know uh, tom grunted at me you know he's becoming very monosyllabic like, yeah nothing wrong with that guy nothing some lithium couldn't cure <laughs> um so they have a dating this movie very very much is they get a fax yeah from maggie's brother and as she's sitting there reading it at the uh kitchen table Tom goes to the refrigerator, gets some orange juice and two glasses, pours himself and one for Maggie. Uh, he drinks his all in one gulp and then keeps looking at her and the orange juice and then back at her and goes, you going to drink that? And then just drinks it all. Great. Um, she is uh, apparently her grandmother is in the hospital and he goes, oh, no, she and then stops himself. She's like, what? What? And then the phone rings. And he just goes right outside. Yeah. Turns out, Grandma kicked the bucket. He knew already. She's very, She even, again, at this point, she knows something's weird. He's become a medium. And then, like, oh, uh, my grandmother died. The funeral's this Saturday. You're coming with me, right? Like, well, he's dealing with this ghost right now. Like, you can't put too much on his plate. And she's, again, not understanding. Which... I, I I understand this reaction from her. It is her grandmother that helped raise yeah. her. Yeah, I get her character. I understand. I feel like on paper, a lot of what the character does make sense. But I think it's just a combo of like the 
the context of the rest of the movie and then like the performance that makes it all kind of fall flat, you know? Let's see. So Maggie leaves with Jake to go to the funeral. Uh, the water stops. Tom's still digging in the back. The water stops. We didn't mention that, but he's using a hose to soften the, the mud and dirt. And uh, when it stops, he gets upset and says, $800 a month. Yeah. God damn. Wow. That's, yeah. For like a pretty nice little house. Like yeah. um, Like a townhouse almost. Um got a basement like three levels yeah it's got it looked like it has an attic like for eight hundred dollars probably two two and a half bath yeah you know i mean it looks spacious but i i, I also damn. just find that like in for movies spaces that they somehow somehow cameras capture things in a way to make them look a lot larger than they often are you know well, sure so yeah, yeah. but also speaking yeah. of kicking you mentioned the grandma kicking the bucket we also see a Kevin Bacon kick the bucket, which is a great moment. He does right kick here. a bucket. Yes, yeah. this is maybe awesome. maybe that's why it was in my mind. Yeah, it yeah. breaks the window. Yeah. Did you see the trivia about fuck. that? That that was not meant to happen. That he was just supposed to kick against the wall, but he kicked it too high and it broke the window. And he just like <laughs> continued walking into the room like he didn't 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 stop, which is awesome. It's great. It's a, it's a great, great shot. Yeah. It's like when uh, Tom Cruise broke his ankle and kept running. Or, of course, when Viggo Mortensen kicked the helmet and broke his toe. Yep. That's right. You know. That's right. Um, so he uh, goes in to, you know, fix the water in the basement and is like, hey, I could dig in here as well. And so he says the, the great line, tools. Mm-hmm. And then goes and rents a jackhammer. Yes. So he's just blowing up the basement. Uh, Maggie eventually calls him, and you know they kind of apologize to each other. He says everything's back to normal, no more digging, and she's like, "Well, great, I'll come and pick you up. It'll only be an hour." Again, this I'm, is I'm gonna I'm gonna get outside. I'm gonna honk, and then you know we'll go. But it's it like just hangs I, up this, on him again. This is just irritating. It's like she's like, "Hey, do you want to come up here?" And he's like, "Uh, you know, no." It's too late, whatever, right? She's like, oh, do you want me to come back and get you? And he's like, I can't take no, that's the too much truck. work. Right. He's like, that's too yeah. much work. Don't do that. And she's like, great, I'll be there. And I'm like, just fucking listen to him. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. It's, I mean, look, it works out, obviously, but. It does. It, it's it does. Just, it was so irritating on her part. I don't know. Uh, Jake doesn't want to come because he's scared of the feathers. He doesn't know right. what it means, but he's scared of the feathers. And she gets in the car. She, re- uh, Jake also says, hey, remember your purse. And gives it to her. So she's driving. I love kind of the shot of uh, Bacon hanging up the phone and then walk and then we just kind of pan through to the dining room and the floor is just destroyed and just picks up the, uh, the sledgehammer, throws it in the basement, goes back to work. He eventually uh, hits a stone wall that had been erected. And notices that there's some bricks behind it. He uncovers that and there are sheets of plastic. He cuts through that and there is a coat hanging on something. And when he takes that off, there is a dead body yeah. of Samantha Kozik. Uh, kind of mummified yeah, a little bit, yeah. if you will. So, uh, you know. It's been about six months, I believe, is what yeah. they said. But I, I so think it's the, interesting. Yeah, I think the plastic maybe preserved her or something. So she looks a little mummy-like. Um, probably she's yes. got a uh like a fistful of hair right her glasses are still on very uh crooked i here's, love that little detail here's a question i got why does the ghost 
why does Samantha's ghost tell him to dig if it was actually breaking through a wall? That's not mm. digging. Was it just like, oh, some foresight into the future through digging, you're going to accidentally hit a wall? And Maybe. Then, like, I don't know. Why not like basement, you know? like <laughs> Right. Well, you know, they charged by the letter. So <laughs> yeah. she was trying to like <laughs> get it in the least amount as possible. Yeah. So that's all I can think of. Um, so he ends up touching her hand and... We see her murder, and it is very, um, really upsetting. Very rough I, and I will, I will yeah. say for the con- for the uh, content, I would say that it is well handled. You know, um, yes. Maybe the conclusion of the song is a little much, but like, well, I, I think that version of the song because yeah. it's bad. Yes, but, <laughs> that that too. Uh, yeah. What happens is that she's, like, just walking down the street. Again, right. she's a little slow. We don't know exactly well, well, what. I mean, but maybe not even... I don't even know if that's true. I think that, that could just, just be... Just shy, them. maybe. Yeah, right, exactly. I think that I think that's just, like, 90 Chicago kids and their, uh, you know, prejudices. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Adam and Kurt say, hey, come here. Come into this house. We want to be your friend. We got the surprise for you. Uh, they walk in and <laughs> they say, Happy St. Patty's Day. And they're drinking green liquor. Yes. I don't know if you noticed this. It's in the bottle. Yep. It's like lime green. We, we I'm, really, I've seen we this needed movie a, like 10 times. I never noticed that before. We needed a shot of the, of uh, what's the river in Chicago? What is that river called? Um, I don't know. But oh, they, right. They, they dye they, they green. They dye a green for St. Pat. We needed a shot of that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, they want to be her friend, and she is trying to be accepted. She says, well, you can kiss me a little. They start groping her, and she's like, no, See, not that way. I, I don't, I, I, I took it as, like, she's just scared enough that she's just like, okay, let them do, you. maybe she, I don't know. It's, it's hard to read, but yeah. It is, it is. You don't know if she's just trying to be accepted, if she's, you know, maybe interested in being with them, but it's too much too fast, and she's not into yeah. it, and they are extremely aggressive throw her down on the floor and she breaks a tooth yeah all hell is, starts breaking loose that's some because stuff yeah. once it happens it's like we've gone past you know the point of no return they keep struggling with her on the ground she breaks her fingernail she's screaming um i think it's kurt is the one doing all of this tells adam to turn up the music and so they turn up Paint it black by I did not look it up. I don't care because it was a horrible cover. Yeah, what's worse, this or the uh, cover of Don't Fear the Reaper or Dino the Frighteners? This is worse. I, I don't yeah, think I, that I think Don't Fear the Reaper is as bad comparatively. Yeah, um, I agree. This is this is worse, yeah. Uh, this is but, hey, probably... Man, fucking, fucking late 1990... Wait, is it the same year? Is it also 1999? Uh, no, I think Frighteners was like 97. Okay, but the late 90s and their covers of 70s rock classics. Yeah. Um, I think this might have been my first introduction to Paint It Black. Either that or Twist It Metal Black, maybe? (laughs) I believe they used that song in the the trailers or the credits or something. When did you see this, by the way? I'm going to ask you, because you drafted this on our, our 90s horror draft. It must have been uh, like soon after it came out, probably like when it was on DVD. So yeah. 
99 2000 i was 13 14 i can imagine this as a as a as a big and common like early dvd movie it feels like something that would like just kind of every house would just have it for some reason you know and you know it's um not too adult oriented that like i feel at that age i like i was understanding a lot of what was happening and like wasn't too too scary just scary enough right there's got to be a letterbox list or something of just like your relative's DVD collection, where like you would go to your yeah. uncle's house and you would look at their DVD rack, and, and this it would is be what was there. it would be The right. Matrix, Stir of Echoes, Run, Lula, Run, The Animatrix, probably Sleepy Hollow, Sleepy Hollow, Terminator Two, like yeah. everyone would have the same movies. Yeah, yeah. I, I, why was Run, Lula, Run one? That was the. I mean, I liked that movie a lot, but I feel like I saw so many weird copies of that around. I feel like that was one of the big just international hits. Yeah. That like if you wanted to appear like you had some culture. <laughs> oh, I've got this great German Amelie. Movie. I feel like Amelie would be I feel like I would saw several copies of That's Amelie. That's more around. pretentious. Yeah. Than L- Run Lola Run. Run Lola right. Run is like manic energy. Um, you know, and the and the uh, you know, the soundtrack. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh so they eventually put you know, plastic over her, she suffocates. Um, okay, I think the better question to ask is, which is the better song to die to? <laughs> don't Fear the Reaper or Paint It Black? Oh, don't Fear the Reaper, are you kidding me? Like, it's it's kind of like easing you into the, the next step, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, hey, Don't Fear the Reaper, like, Romeo and Juliet, we can be like they are. <laughs> so, um... Tom comes out of the trance. There's also another really good shot of Tom, like, being, not breathing, and then, like, exhaling his breath, and it's cold and everything. Right. I think that's a really good just shot. Uh, But he decides to go to Frank, says, hey, you know, I think I know why Adam shot himself. I wanted to hear it, you to hear it from, you know, us first, not through the media or friends or anything. So he tells him to come down. Uh, Frank's like, uh, how do you know? Like, we don't, uh, you can't pin this on us. Yeah. And Tom's like, she's got someone's hair in her hand. Like, I think it's, we're gonna figure it out. Kevin Dunn is when great Frank, here. Yeah, Frank pulls out a gun and is, you know, he's really, like, going through it about how uh, he's been living with it for six months. Yeah. Which is just funny that he's he's horny, even though he's, like, very disturbed by this murder that he helped Look, he's, confl- he's conflicted he's he's a man of like a lot of you know there's a lot going on inside of his head yeah you know we all contain multitudes yeah go, go, exactly go, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah but i really like even if seeing... you help your son like get away with murder <laughs> you still have a sex drive assault and it's murder. gonna happen yeah. i i really like kevin dunn i think he's always a, a fun presence and it's nice to see him in a in a in a good dramatic role like this um yeah. I, and he does a good job. It's like, you know, after this, he's like in the Transformers movies and stuff, like where he kind of gets relegated to like some comedic relief in those that's really awful, where he's like getting jacked off by Bumblebee or whatever happens in those, you know. But he's like, great comedic relief in Ghostbusters too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you mentioned that last week. I totally forgot he's in yeah. that. It's been so yeah. long since I've seen it. Like, I got to give it another shot. Um, it's just the, uh, the like, I have a very strong feeling and yes. Bankman's is like well i hope that works out for you is he the, for your sake yeah is he like their boss in um oh, what's the show uh true detective the first season is that him mm. in that 
I'm trying to think, his other, I'm trying to think of his, his other dramatic roles. I know there's some recent thing where he's like a police captain or something, and he's good in that too. But yeah, he, yeah, I think he's really good in this. Yeah. Um, very sad. Tells Tom to go away, and you hear a shot ring out. And then all of a sudden, uh, Harry and his boy Kurt yeah. uh, come in. They're very menacing. It is so sudden. It's like, you know, Frank is yelling at him, the gun goes off, and then two seconds later, like, they're knocking at the door all Ding casual. Dong. And I'm like, yeah. did I not just yeah. hear the gunshot from the basement? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, says, you know, they got a big problem. Um, what the hell are you doing to my house? You're tearing it up. Tom's trying to give this, like, story about your water main leaking like a son of a bitch, you know. Yeah. Water damage everywhere. <laughs> Harry throws his son, like, a bottle of liquor. Right. Because he knows that shit's about to go down. He's got to, like, stiffen up his boy. Yes. Um, and at this point, really weird, Tom grabs his keys and puts it through his fingers like Wolverine. Like, mm-hmm. like you do if, you know, you're going to be attacked. And then when the moment happens... He grabs a big lamp and just shoves it at Harry. Yeah. I guess That's he wanted something move. with more reach or something, but yes, it's weird. I guess so. It's just so funny to have him do that. and Because there's an insert shot of him grabbing keys, yeah. an insert shot of him putting the keys in his fingers. It feels like, you know, screenwriter David Kep would know Chekhov's finger keys. He would have you have yeah. to use that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, De Palma I, I... was not on set that day. <laughs> exactly. Apparently. Yeah. Or he was looking to, he was looking he was at the craft services while they were while they were doing this part. Yeah. Um, he was staring at a woman like the way that <laughs> Kevin Dunn is when he's eating chips. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he noticed Ileana Douglas off to the side and was a little distracted. <laughs> I uh, I really like the exchange here though. There's a like he's talking about the water main stuff and he's like, Oh yeah, I was digging in the basement trying to fix that water main. He's like, you know, the water main doesn't go under the house. And he's like, Oh, I know that now. Well, I know but, that now. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I really like, just in terms of, like, the story, I think this is something that could have been focused on a little more. Just, like, this kind of, the culture, right? Like, where, you know, Frank has the line about, like, hey, we're going to throw away, like, these boys' lives yes. for her, yes. right? They have everything ahead of them, and we're going to, like, let them rot in prison. For like, an it is, accident. For an accident, right? It's this culture of, like, hey, she doesn't matter. She was just some girl, right? And it's like, what matters is these boys and their football career. And then here comes yep. Kurt and Harry to protect it and uphold it with more murder. You know, like, I feel like if the movie dig, uh, dug into that more, and, like, it does add a weird, like, sort of, like, vibe to the neighborhood and community, right? Which I think this is partly about this community that is going to protect these boys for this. But instead, we take, again, 15 minutes to dally around with <laughs> yeah. with Catherine yeah. Irby. All right, I'll, we'll save the rest of it. Yeah, let's get through. Who this. pulls up in the car, yeah. like, after they, they struggle and they're about to shoot Tom in the head. Uh, Catherine Irby pulls up in the car and honks the horn. And they're like, oh, shit. And they start turning out the lights. So she starts going into the house, but like, oh, hold on. Let me go back and get my knife. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big scuffle. She ends up stabbing Harry in the foot and uh all of a sudden what like frank shows up and there's like gunshots and really good harry shoots yeah they really are harry shoots into the ceiling it goes through jake's pillow and the biggest rain of pill of uh feathers comes down from one single gunshot it's like 
I don't know how to explain it. It's just there's it's like you shot a goose in the air <laughs> yeah. and then all of a sudden there's just like a thousand feathers, you know, slowly falling with music behind it. Yeah. Which is like it's a good shot, but it kinda so like Jake earlier said he's scared of the feathers, right? Which like we yeah. understand it's like, oh and it goes through Jake's pillow, so it's like, oh, if Jake had gone back but he wouldn't have gone to bed. They would have right come into home. Right the bedroom. Yeah. Right. They would have come home and the scuffle still would have happened. He wouldn't like run upstairs and lay in bed and get shot. Like it. So he had nothing to be scared of, really. But I don't know. You I never guess know. It, it could have been like if he would have gone in, she would be like, run to your oh, room. Right, and yeah. he would have done that. I and, guess he was just know. seeing, I guess he was just seeing the visual of feathers and it scared him. But whatever. It seems like a weird inclusion. Of- a bullet going through your pillow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it's a weird inclusion. Um, yeah, it's weird. But I, 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 the shot's cool, though. It's very pretty. Yeah. So now we get kind of the hallucination that Tom was having earlier of Frank saying, they were going to kill you, Tom. You and Maggie both. I and like he walks this. Upstown. It's it's nice and weird and surreal, you know? Like, yeah. uh, the fact that you've Sits seen down on the dream. steps. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's going like, you know, this is, um, what do you say? This is a decent neighborhood. Yeah. See that line? If you had dug into yeah. like that whole "oh, we're decent folk" or whatever, that, yeah. it's like there's something about that you could ex- have dug in deeper for this stuff. Yeah, um, cut the Catherine Irby stuff. Give more into this. That definitely would have been something that yeah. could have helped. Uh, we see Samantha. Like, I think this is a great shot too. Of like, you, you the camera keeps panning over, and Samantha kind of keeps changing. She's in the house. She's on the sidewalk, putting her glasses on, and then she's further down the sidewalk, putting her coat on. She walks across the street, and this ruins it all. A car drives through her, and she disappears. It's very, yeah, it's silly. Yep. Ridiculous. Yes. Ridiculous. I, I 100% agree. Um, I really like this shot of them moving out of just the U-Haul, and it, like, keeps slowly zooming in. Um, Kevin Bacon, Catherine Irby, you like, keep, keep crossing each other, and then we get them touching hands, and it's just the slow, like not letting go kind of a slow-mo um very sweet with some okay music you know underneath it then we get them driving away uh we don't know if they're going to somewhere else rather than chicago you know they say that jay or tom's never lived outside of like a six block radius so i think that's something that they could like dive into a little bit more as well uh but then we have Jake hearing all of the ghosts of all Chicago. I'm a, I'm guessing it was where the Great Chicago Fire happened, and it's like <laughs> yeah. that's what he's hearing. Exactly. Um, but just you know, puts his puts his hands over his ear, or and, they or uh, they drove by where like the Valentine's Day massacre happened, or something. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah. It should have yeah. been a bunch of like Chicago guys being like, "Hey, you know what you're doing with that bat?" Like <laughs> before Capone kills him. Um, and then, like, kind of, kind of upsetting of, you know, it's like a cacophony of voices going on, uh, and he seems scared. And then we cut to Hello, Hello by Poe. Just very tonally awkward cut to it. Very strange. Uh, there was a sequel to this. I don't even saw that. I was just gonna bring this up. Yeah, that follows Uh, Jake. I did... I did see uh, it a long time ago. I rewatched like half an hour of it because it was just on. Maybe that's what I'll put on while I'm golfing later. Perfect. But um, stars Rob Lowe. Oh, who's wow. never done anything problematic in his life. No, never. Ever. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, let's get into some uh, final thoughts and ratings. What are we going to rate this out of? Uh, I have a couple ideas. Uh, fridges full of OJ? Ex- words right out of my mouth. I was going to say bug pajamas. Oh, that's good. Those were some pretty cool bug pajamas. I, I can see why he wanted to wear those, yeah. Yeah, not those fucking stupid fire trucks. Yeah, fuck that. Trucks. Yeah, come on. He wears the fire trucks later. They're not as cool as the bugs. No, no. Kevin um, Bacon was way wrong about it. You got slabs of bacon. We got um, <laughs> big fatties that Alina Douglas has smoked. Oh, uh, that's pretty good. Um, I, I, think, uh, I still think Fridges of OJ, you know. Fridges of OJ. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, I think this is a very serviceable ghost story. I think it's good mystery. Um, it has an impactful murder that happens that just really cements the sympathy for Samantha. Even though she is kind of the biggest horror element of the movie. Unless you want to take in like the you know man's hubris of they're better <laughs> than anybody else. Like, you know, the real horror is yeah, this yeah. ghost haunting a family in their nice little rented townhouse the real horror um, of and literally every movie ever is man you know whether it's a comedy <laughs> a drama like a whatever the monster is always man yeah uh if only we could get Werner herzog to narrate that oh us. yeah absolutely yes yeah um i think there's a lot of great acting in this i think bacon does a really phenomenal job alina douglas is so good in her role the kid is more hit than miss but when it is miss, it's kind of bad. One that we didn't cover is when uh, Maggie is telling him, like, he can't watch the Mummy movie anymore. He's like, no, five more minutes. And she's like, yeah, I know. I'm horrible. Yeah. Um, are you are you going to be okay if I, sh- you know, take a bath for five minutes? She's like, whatever. That yeah. was a really good delivery as well. Good kid stuff, yeah. Um, but the biggest hang-up, I think, in the whole movie is Catherine Irby. She is just kind of a sore thumb her writing even especially like she has nothing to shine with which makes the character even flatter than it really is um but maybe that's just how like that's how she always is acting so maybe they just is what she was suited for um i think there's some pretty good bordering on great direction there are just many shots many scenes that are well paced or just well um or just very effective with these scares the talk to me voice you have a lot of that but maybe as we have said uh brian de palma was just on set that day that david kep is just really not that great at it that maybe he's too ordinary (laughs) instead of being able to like achieve this movie magic um I still really like it, though. I don't think it's a nostalgia thing for me. I think that there is a really good core to this story that uh, I'll I'll keep watching. I really enjoy it. Like I said, I've, I've seen this pr- at least ten times, probably, from, like, a teenager. Just, like, continuously every once in a while. Oh, yeah, let's put that on. That's great. Um, I'm going to go 3.7 Fridges of OJ. Nice, man. All right. Hey, look, I mostly agree with pretty much all this. Like, I think that, yeah, it's it's very serviceable for what it is, and it's very watchable. Like, and it just, I don't know. Like, I mentioned, you know, up through, like, the middle of the second act, like, I was I was in. Like, I, I liked the intrigue of it. I really was really loving Bacon's performance. Like, I thought the ghost stuff, the way it was handled was pretty good. 
I mean, be a little typical, but like, you know, in terms of like your kind of standard hauntings in a movie, especially in the 90s, like I thought that it was a good version of that. Um, and yeah, the direction was pretty surprising at points for how like effective it was. Like, I really love the hallucination scenes. And I was seeing that Kep was really like, eh, I feel like hallucinations, like we've, we've seen the scene of the guy going into the trance and all this stuff. So it's like, let's really dig in from Bacon's perspective what is happening in his head with this, which I thought was a great move. And it's all really well realized. Um, so like, I, I, I was really enjoying it. And then you get to that Catherine Irby section where she's going to talk to Neil and none of it has any kind of real impact on the story being told. And you move away from Bacon for so long. Like, he's just kind of, like, sitting in the den playing the guitar for, like, a good 25 minutes, it feels like. I know it's not that long, <laughs> yeah. but it feels like a long time that you're kind of focused on uh, Maggie instead of Tom, and which was a problem for me. So, uh, But I still really liked it. I, I thought that Kevin Dunn was great. Uh, Kevin Bacon, obviously awesome. And I already had a giant crush on Eliana Douglas and just only made it worse, you know? So, like, uh, yeah, I'm going to go, like, 3.2 uh, Fridges of OJ. I think I really, I do like this, and I would watch it again. Um and yeah, it's kind of, it's also like, even though that section with Maggie slowed it down for me, it's an hour and a half. It's a breeze. Like right. you're in and you're out. You know, it's, it was, it was over, over and done with, uh, in a real, you know, brisk pace. So like, yeah, I like it. I think it was as good. It's a, it's a good way to close out uh, Ghost. Yeah. Well, and that's what we're doing. We're closing it out, but we have one more thing we have to do that we do every month. Uh, we have to do the Masseys. Yeah. We give awards uh, for the movies that we have watched. We have different categories. Let's talk about the movies we watched this month. We watched The Frighteners, The Whip and the Body, House 3, The Horror Show, <laughs> Ringu, and A Stir of Echoes. So we're going to start this out like we do every month with the Claude Daigle Memorial Penmanship Awards Scholarship Fund Foundation also known as Best Kill. I think I have all of my selections except this one. This one may be the toughest one. Yeah. I think out there's, of the bunch. there's two I'm split between. Um, if I'm going to talk them out, let's just talk them out in real time. Because, like, I, yeah, there's two that I really like that come to mind right away, but I'm not sure. Uh, in The Frighteners, I really love Jeffrey Combs' death. It is a fun, silly idea that is really well realized and shocking. Like it is very sudden and then very funny afterwards. I do, you know? I do enjoy that one. That was one that was on the the front of my yeah. mind. The other one I that I absolutely adore that I think uh, I think it'll be my choice. Yeah, I'm gonna go with um, uh, uh, Ryuchi's death from the ring from Ringu. So the the big moment of Sadako coming out of the TV. And killing the uh, the ex husband with the close up of the eye, the look on his face, the the, the negative even works for me in that context. Like, you know, yeah. it's such a stunner, and it's such a great capstone to that movie. Um, where we talked about it's got the the anti climax, you know, the sort of like anti or false climax, and then to really kind of like end with the Hammer punch yeah. of of that scene is, is really awesome to me. So that's my pick. That that was another one I was thinking of. I think. I'll go with Meat Cleaver Max being electrocuted. Oh, and good shit. Yeah. Surviving enough to then walk like seven steps while yeah. on fire saying, I'm gonna fuck you up. 
and for, uh, for the purposes of, of this award, we'll you know we weren't clear in the episode if he actually did die or not. Like he sort of transcended into a different plane or something, but we'll say he died. Well, that's for later the purposes on. Yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they took his pulse. He wasn't there anymore. Yeah, exactly. His, um, his his bodily functions ceased to work. Yes, exactly. Uh, so we're gonna move on to best performance. We might have the same answer. All right, on three. One, two, two, three. Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. Milton Dammers in The Frighteners. Yeah. He's so, he's so amazing. That whole scene where they like they build up the tension with the score in the mm. uh, interrogation room. Yes. And he's like, have you ever heard of Nina Coladilla? Yes. Oh, he's so good. I'm wearing a blood breastplate is so good. Um, <laughs> him panicking anytime a woman is yelling at him. Like uh, I'm an asshole with an Uzi. Yes, he's he's brilliant. He's so good. I love Jeffrey Combs, and like that performance might be his magnum opus. Yeah. Let's move on to best effect. Uh, mine's also in the Frighteners. I'm gonna go with just the Judge in general. He um, looks fantastic. Ghostly form. Yeah. No jaw. The jaw like kind of extruding. Like it's it's so creepy, but still kind of comical. Yeah, boy. Um, this is a tough one because I feel like this is one where House Three might eke it out for me a little bit because, like, the practical effects in House Three—the turkey, the turkey—is good. No, 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 no. That's actually <laughs> pretty bad. But no, the, the pregnant belly, the weird like vagina on uh, <laughs> yeah. on Lance Henderson's chest that he starts picking at, and like, you know, it's during a horrible scene that I hate. But like that that effect is great. Um, shit, man, this is tough. You know what? I'm going to say um, I think the best effect might be close-ups of Christopher Lee's face and the whip in the body. Just like the impact that it has. Like you fill the frame with that face. It's a black void behind him. And the way that the moment when he like pushes through where it starts in one color, I can I think it's red. And then like he goes into the darkness for a moment, he emerges and it's all blue and it's a great close-up of Christopher Lee's face. I think I think that effect is really fucking great. And um, I want an excuse to award whipping the body something because I, I want to justify its its existence in in this month. So you know, I I understand what you're doing. I get yeah. it. I get it. Um, we're gonna move on to massacre of the month. This one's a little hard for me actually. I'm split between two of them, uh, and we can talk it out. I think the frighteners they're killing like forty people. Yeah, dude, over I, decades, but. They are, like, mass murderers. No, I think that's the only choice for me. Yeah, that's, that's like, clearing away the, the, the best answer. Yeah. But I think Ringu has the, like, beginning of the massacre. You have four dead just in the beginning. Right. And we know it's going to keep going. Yeah, I, I think that's true. But, like, I think with the Frighteners, it also has the, the bonus of we actually see the hospital massacre that kicked things off. Which yeah, is a really yeah. like we talked about how like there's a there's a lot of climax in that movie and it goes on for a little too long possibly but I think that like the way that's all handled in that flashback is really effective and really actually tense like seeing them go room to room with the gun and like execute people in hospital beds like it's fucked up carve you know? numbers in their forehead you yes. know I guess that is interesting that we have had two movies that kind of had weird climaxes one that's like a fake and then one that's almost an extended yeah like, doesn't stop type right yeah um, exactly interesting i i think you're i think you were right frighteners i think may just have to take it away 
and it's all about like the massacre you know it's like the the goal is yeah. to, to is to massacre so yeah 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 uh we're gonna move on to our seasonal award which is uh which movie would you like to die in which has like the preferable version of the afterlife yeah. for you okay and so i think i know what you're gonna say i think you're probably gonna say the frighteners is it am i right maybe I, okay I would also probably say The Frighteners. If you're looking at it objectively, like, as a ghost, it seems like maybe the most fun you could have. Like, you're doing kooky things, and you're, like, fucking mummies and whatever. Right. But I could not think of anything worse for me personally than to die and then to return as bad CGI. That is a living or uh, unliving hell for me. (laughs) Is to eternally be bad computer effects? No, I can't do that. Right. With that blue hue. Yeah, exactly. Um, talking about the others, like you got uh, whipping the body. You're a ghost that can fuck. If you're even a ghost, you actually may not be real. You eh, might be a mental debatable. hallucination. Yes, or you could be in House Three, also a ghost that can fuck. Um, maybe not consensually, but like you know, you could. You're also maybe just a bunch of electricity that is vulnerable to phantom electricity. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> um, and then you got uh, <laughs> what else did we talk about? Uh, Ringu, you're an angry ghost on a VHS tape that can kill with your mind. Pretty sick. I kind of like that one. Um, you know, you get to come out of TVs, scare people to death. Seems pretty interesting. Or you wear a sheet over your head and point at things. Like, that one's not bad. Yeah, and that's then, true, too. And then you got uh, Stir of Echoes, where you seem to be a little, like, angry, a little vengeful. You're very cold all the time, which seems kind of A little moody, a little gothy, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, I think all this said, I gotta go whip in the body. <laughs> that seems to me to be like, you know, being a ghost seems kind of miserable in general. And the fact that you may not actually exist in the whip in the body, it's like, hey, maybe I'm not even a ghost. Maybe I did just die yeah. and that's it forever, you know? Uh, I think I'm going to go with Ringu because I've always wanted to be on TV. Uh, okay, I'm switching my answer. I love that reasoning. <laughs> That's it. You find we finally made it. You know, or on TVs across across the country and across the planet. Yeah. Also, it's just kind of cool. Like you're you're this urban legend. You're not like a mega celebrity. Right? You're, you know, you're talked about in certain circles. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they mm-hmm. whisper your name. You yeah. know, it's always fun Pretty to hear sick. about. Pretty sick. Yeah. Well, good, 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 Greg. It's been uh, a, a really a real treat. With this month, I really enjoyed all the movies that we watched uh, in one way or the other, you know, Um, but we have to close the book and will you tell us what we're going to be talking about next month and also what we're watching next week? Hey, look, it's here again. We've done it. We've made it back to September. September returns for a third time. Um, He is risen again. Again. He is risen again. Again. Yeah. We have to pay our tribute to the Dark Lord. Uh, for the third year in a row. And so uh, we're talking all Satan movies all of September long, and I cannot wait. And we're kicking off with one that I really only know based off of the visual and how impressive it is. But I want to talk about Ridley Scott's Legend, starring Tom Cruise and Tim Curry. Uh, what a pairing. I cannot wait. Mm-hmm. I believe neither of us have seen this before, so it's going to be no. a very interesting time. Yeah, bizarre. I mean, with such big names like that, and, like, you know, it's weird. I, I, I'm very curious. Like, I, I feel like I know the visual so well of Tim Curry as, as, as a, as, I think, Satan. We'll, we'll have to find out. I believe so. Um, I also know that 
Tom Cruise has fucked up teeth in this one. Yeah, this is this is, is pre dental work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, 1985 is when it came out. I was looking for the year. Mm. So let's well, do it. Well, I'm I'm excited to talk about some Ridley Scott. So thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe anywhere you get this podcast. We have email weeklypodcastmassacre at gmail.com, both threads and Instagram, both at weeklymassacre. So uh, hit us up and let us know if your fridge is mostly full of OJ, if you've got any skeletons in your basement, or if you just smoked a great big fatty. I want to hear <laughs> from you. Yeah, reach out. And as always, why don't you just lick them when they walk by? I would not look a gift boner in the mouth. See you, everybody. Bye.